All right. We're going to pack house today, and I really hate to disappoint everybody. We've been studying through the book of Leviticus, and we're going to take a break from that today. So if, if a lot of people leave because they're just, I'm just kidding here. So just, Leviticus, you're kidding me. So uh, now we've been studying through Leviticus. We're deep into the book of Leviticus. And uh, in wrestling with the question of why should we study these parts of the Bible that most Christians would ignore, it's driven me deeper into parts of the New Testament, particularly in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul explains that the things of the Old Testament were foreshadowing. So I've been reading Colossians a lot, Colossians chapter 2 a lot, so I was planning to have a lesson on Colossians, just to, to cover Colossians in one lesson, just, just at a high level. So, I, so that's what I thought I was going to do today. So, so it, actually, I'm not. So, so I was studying Colossians, and as I'm digging further and further into Colossians, I realized, wait a minute, the book of Philemon is written to someone who is living in Colossae, and it's obviously written at the same time. How do you read one of these without the other? They kind of, they really fit together. So I started. So, so, so then my plan was I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lesson on uh, Colossians with Philemon on the side, and then I thought, well, I started getting into Philemon. I said, no, let's just have a lesson on Philemon. So it'll be a little shorter lesson than usual. Um, so we'll have have lunch a little sooner, which is which is which is, is good too. So uh, rather than try to do too much, I want to look at at Philemon, and this is a heads up that we're going to be looking at Colossians, Lord willing next week, so I encourage you to, to read, and as you're, as you're reading in Colossians, if you want to prepare for that, ask yourself the question, first question is, why did Paul write this letter? So this is always a good question to ask us, what was the driver? Why is he writing this? And ask yourself the question and see what you come up with. So Colossians and Philemon, I've heard the expression before, Paul's prison epistles, but I never took it seriously and never knew what it meant. But I heard people using this term, the prison epistles, and what that is is the thing that they all have in common is Paul somewhere in the letter says, I'm in prison. Well, I'm writing this from prison, I'm in chains. And so that the four letters where Paul says that would be uh, Philemon, Colossians, and also Ephesians and Philippians. Paul says in all those letters, I'm in jail. And so uh, people have... Some people have assumed that they're all written around the same time. I don't know. It doesn't really say that. And the traditional explanation, I don't know if this is true either or not, is that you know, then at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, the second half of Acts 28, Paul is in Rome and he's in prison. He's in prison there for, for a couple of years. And so people think that may be when he wrote these epistles. However, we stop and think about it. That wasn't the only time Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison in Caesarea for a couple of years right before that. And then some comments by Paul. I think what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm in labors more abundant, stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. So the sense I get is that Paul's in prison all the time. So he just he keeps, keeps going in and, out of, in and out of prison. And and then I think of what he said in 1 Corinthians, Paul sent, spent, he spent two years in Ephesus, which is the, the region. Uh, so Philemon and Colossians both are, uh, are addressing people in the city of Colossae. 
And if you don't know where that is, Colossae is in basically the western part of Turkey. It's the same region where the seven churches of Asia are in Revelation 2 and 3. It's called the province of Asia. We think of Asia, we think of China, India, we think of Asia. But, but for the, the, the old, the province of Asia in the Roman Empire was the western part of what is today Turkey. So that's, that's in that area. The big city there was Ephesus. Paul spent quite a bit of time in Ephesus. And it talks about that in Acts chapter chapter 19. So, and, and Paul says that Ephesus was the big city in that region, the province of Asia. And he said, uh, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? So like, what is he talking about, fighting beasts in Ephesus? I mean, I assume he got thrown into the ring. This is part of the Roman uh, Empire. If you go to... Alice and I were in uh, in Turkey visiting some friends there a while ago, and so we got to see some of the old ruins. And they'll have a little they'll have a little amphitheater, a coliseum, in a lot of the cities where they would have performances, they have races, or they would take people and throw them in and have them fight against wild animals. So that presumably that's what he's talking about. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, Ephesus had a had a had a big uh, arena as well. So I assume that Paul got thrown in there and had to fight some wild beasts because he was a Christian. So Paul uh, Paul was in trouble wherever he went, and he was in prison a lot. So the fact that Paul says that he's in prison, maybe that's the time he was in prison in Acts 28, but I don't know. I really, I really, I really don't know. But that's, that's what, that's what uh, a lot of people say that's when it was. So Colossae, little uh, things. So Colossae, as I mentioned, it's, it's a city in the Roman Empire, uh, back then, very ancient city, and what we would call it was a province of Asia. We refer to this as Asia Minor today. Um, Ephesus was the big port city, the most influential city. And in Acts 19, Paul says that he spent two years teaching daily in the school of Tyrannus. And it says, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. So that was the, it's like somebody going into Boston and, and all, all of eastern Massachusetts. And all, it, the word fans out from, from the big city into the surrounding area. So Paul spent quite a bit of time in, in that region, in the province of Asia, in Ephesus. And, and through his teaching there, the teaching spread throughout that whole region. That's, that's what it says in Acts 19. So... Colossae was a city, a very old city. It was inland on a river, uh, in, in, in a river valley. It was uh, maybe, uh, uh, and in Colossians it mentions Laodicea several times. So this is, this is a nearby city, so Colossae and Laodicea. Laodicea is one of the seven churches in, in Asia in Revelation. That was the last one. That's the one that's, that's uh, chided for being wealthy and lukewarm at the end. You know, I, uh, the ones that were saying, I'm rich. So, so that was the church in Laodicea. And Paul, when he writes the letter to the Colossians, he says, you should really sh- share the letter I just wrote to you with the Laodiceans, and they can share their letter with you too. And so they're, they're people, they, they knew each other, two, two churches that were close to each other. They're geographically close, maybe uh, 10 or 15 miles apart from each other, or for people who are not used to the, uh, the American system. It's 15, 25 kilometers uh, apart from Laodicea. So um, 
So, uh, as I mentioned, Paul's letter to Philemon and to Colossians were both addressed to members of the church in Colossae. And so I think it's really good to study the two of them together. I never realized when I was reading, reading through Colossians and I think about it deeply how much overlap there is between the two. And a number of people are mentioned, in, the same people are mentioned in both. And you could read them both together and think about it logically, but the whole story with Onesimus, it, it seems that those letters are both issued at, at virtually the same time or maybe at the same time. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but they, there's, there's tremendous overlap there. Um, so Paul, at the time he's writing these two letters, it seems like, at least at that point in time, he'd never actually been to Colossae because he says that uh, he learned about the church in Colossae from Epaphras. So Epaphras either founded the church or was a prominent teacher in the church. So Paul was in the region, but uh, there's no indication. He says he knows about it from Epaphras, what was going on. Uh, also, the church at that time was meeting in homes. So it talks about you know the church that meets in this house, the church that meets in that house, and, and Philemon, the church that meets in your house. So uh, uh, we're getting a little bit uh, we're getting a little packed here in this particular living room. But uh, but the church in the beginning met in houses. This is this is a good good old fashioned way of meeting together, and. Uh, the church included, if, if in Colossians, we learn some things about, and I always wonder, what's this church like? Uh, a couple of things in Colossians. Okay, you had free people, you had slaves in the church, you had slave owners in the church. You, had, you, got, you got a complete mix. You got men and women in the church. Uh, because he, Paul, at the end of Colossians, gives instruction to husbands and to wives and to masters and to servants, to, to slaves. So he gives... He gives uh, advice to that. Now, another thing, let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 26-27. This is just to get a handle on what the church in Colossae is like. Which is the background for Philemon. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 24. Paul, Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's, uh, from based on what he's saying here, God willed to make known the riches of his glory among the Gentiles, which is Christ knew the hope of glory. So my assumption here is that this is mostly a Gentile church. So this is that's based, based on based on what he's saying here. So um, which is certainly no surprise. So it's 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 mostly at least Gentiles. He's addressing them as a Gentile church. <clears throat> and uh, Paul says he's sending the letter up to the Colossians along with Tychicus and Onesimus. 
And he identifies Onesimus in Corinthians as a faithful and beloved brother who is now one of you. So I assume he means that he's now a Christian. Onesimus is, 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 is now, now a brother. He's now, now one of you. So he's sending these two men along with the letter. So that's a little bit of, of, of background looking from the Colossians side. Now let's take a look at Philemon, Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon is a member of that church. He's a leader in that church. Church meets in his house. Let's start in Philemon in verse 1. There's no chapters here because it's, it's all in one chapter. It's a short letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God mentioning, making mention of you in all my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Okay, so this is his, his introduction, his greeting. It's from Paul and Timothy, and it's written to, um, to Philemon and some others and to the, the church that meets with them in, in the home setting. Hey, brother, I have a quick question. You Did you say Corinthians? You, you were talking about Onesimus, and you said Corinthians? Colossians. Okay. Colossians, sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm mistaken if I said that. So it's, yes, Colossians. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it's Philemon and Colossians together. So, yeah, that's what I uh, Verse 8. Therefore, now he gets into the, the purpose behind the letter. I was, when I'm reading a letter, I was thinking, okay, why is he writing this letter? And he gets into the purpose after that. Verse, verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel." But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, basically... Uh, what do we learn about Onesimus? He's a runaway slave. Okay, He was a slave in the household of Philemon, who was a leader in the church in, uh, in Colossae. And so Paul, he, so he, he, yeah, putting the story together, he had run away from his master while he was not a Christian, Somehow he connects with Paul, who 
I mean, most people think Paul's in Rome here, but it doesn't say it doesn't say clearly where he's in prison somewhere. So he 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 so Paul shares the gospel with him, and he ends up becoming a Christian. And now Paul is sending him back. Paul says, "I'd like to keep him with me here, but I can't really do that with a clear conscience because he's not mine. So I'm sending him back to you, and I hope you'll do the right thing." With a, with a pretty strong hint about what that might be that he would do, okay? So, so here's the thing. Onesimus had been a slave of Philemon. He ran away before he became a Christian. And Paul was personally involved in leading him to faith in Christ, which is why he refers to him as being like a beloved son. That's what he says. He is, in verse 10, My son whom I have begotten while in my chains. So somehow, while Paul is 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 in prison, and if it was in Rome in Acts twenty eight, Paul is preaching the gospel even though he's under under house arrest in his in his apartment. Um, so let me. I'm going to ask three questions here in this. The, the first one is, uh, what do you think Onesimus was thinking? What was Paul thinking, and then what was Philemon thinking? Okay, first of all, put yourself in the place of Onesimus. Okay, he is a runaway slave, obviously didn't like being a slave, finally managed to escape and get somewhere where he was was safe and free, and then he becomes a Christian. Now, Jesus said that Anyone who wants to follow him needs to count the cost before following him. Can you imagine? And Paul is not somebody who soft-pedaled anything. Paul says exactly what he thinks. Imagine that you're Onesimus, and Paul is counting the cost with you, that he brings you to faith in Jesus, and, and okay, now you need, you need to get baptized, you need to become a Christian, and, but you need to sit down and count the cost. You need to take inventory of your life. You need, to, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sins. What do you think Paul talked about in connection with that in becoming a Christian? I mean, everybody's got a cost to count when they become a Christian. You've got to turn away from sin. Uh, you're going to face persecution sometimes. You're going to be rejected by friends and family. So, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what it was. So, he's a runaway slave. Well... You don't have to wonder about what Paul believed about situations like that. Consider what Paul actually said in writing to the Colossian church in Colossians 3.22. He says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. So he says people, there are people in the church who are masters of people's service. He addresses the masters, he addresses the husbands, he addresses the wives. But here he addresses the servants and say, you, you need to obey your masters in all things. So here he has a guy who is from the same church, er, same, the same city, who's run away from his master. So what is he going to tell him? Okay, you're going to become a Christian, you're going to have to go back to your master. And that's exactly the situation. So, so Paul is sending him back. As a, as a Christian, so imagine that. Imagine somebody says, you don't want to become a Christian, here's what you're going to have to do. You have finally escaped from slavery, you're going to have to go back 
to your master, who is probably pretty angry and upset the fact that you ran away from him, okay? And may not be throwing a party for you when you show up, okay? He may not be, uh, you're a runaway slave, you're not his son, so he's not going to be, he's not going to be killing the fatted calf for you when you show up there, right? So imagine you're, you're in Onesimus' mind, counting the cost of becoming a Christian. He says, I got I to gotta turn and go back, I got to go back to Colossae, I've got to go back to my master's house and turn myself in. Now, Hey, slavery's been around for a long time. Didn't start in the United States. Okay. Didn't didn't start. It's been around in, in, in pretty much in the ancient world, if slavery was present in, in every culture that I'm aware of. It was it was present in Africa, it was present in Europe, it was present in Asia, in the Middle East, that slavery was all over the place. Every every culture had slavery. The unusual thing in history is that over the last 200 years or so, that slavery has been wiped out in most places, starting with people like uh, was it William Wilberforce in England and and some some uh, some Christian Christians who who started pushing for the abolition of slavery. Slavery was was all over the world. Slavery was common in the ancient world. That's why Paul, when he's addressing the church in Colossae, says, well, "You you you who are slaves who are in the church, here's what you need to do." Now think about how the gospel is presented today. Okay, in, in most churches, will approach the gospel the same way that corporations will approach advertising. They say, "Well, what are people looking for? How can I how can I sell the Christian message by by thinking about what do we offer that people want? Okay, people want to have nice families." Their finances are a mess. They got problems with drugs or alcohol, whatever, whatever it is. And, and there's a temptation for churches to say, become a Christian and you can clean your life up and you're going to have a much happier, more fulfilling life in this life. Okay? That's not what Paul said. Paul said, he said, if only for this life, we have hope we are to be of all men the most pity. And I also imagine if Onesimus is giving Paul a hard time about, you mean to tell me that you expect me to actually go back and, 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 and turn myself in and become a slave again? He's looking over at Paul and Paul's chains are clanking. Okay, he Paul's in chains when, he's, when he is sharing the gospel with Onesimus. That Paul's a living example of what happens when you, or what can happen when you follow the gospel. Paul himself had to count, count the gospel, count the cost when he became a Christian. When Jesus approached him on the road to Damascus, Paul was out hunting down Christians. If he becomes a Christian, what's the cost for him? He's going to be hunted down by other people who are just like himself. That's what's going to happen. That is exactly what happened. That's why Paul says, if I fought, you know, I, I've, I've been beaten more often i've been i've been uh, i've been whipped i have I have stripes beyond count and i fought wild beasts in ephesus he says this is this is this has been my life so the whole idea that become a christian and your life is going to become a lot better didn't work for paul and certainly didn't work for nesimus either he had to give up his freedom now i'm a person 
I love my freedom. Okay, I really do. I love being free. I don't want anybody, and some of you who know me know me pretty well know exactly what I mean. I don't want anybody telling me what to do, basically. I really don't. I love my freedom. I mean, I'm classic, a classic American, I suppose. So the whole thought about you become a Christian, you're going to have to give up your freedom and become a slave again. Boy, that's, that's, that's a tough cost to count. That's, that's a bitter, bitter pill. But, uh, I mean, this is, this is a pretty strong antidote for any form of the prosperity gospel. Become a Christian and your life is going to become better. As a lot of times it won't, it'll become much worse. So, if you're Onesimus, you've counted the cost, you've become a Christian, and now Paul says, all right, it's time to go back. Tychicus is going back, and it's now it's time for you to go back uh, to there, to, to Colossae. What would you be thinking if you're Onesimus? Maybe we could put this off for a little while. Okay, what's the rush? Uh, I'd be thinking, do we really need to do this? Isn't there some other way? What about freedom in Christ that you're talking about here? What, what, what happened to that? Uh, and then beyond that, you start to think practically. Okay, when I show up at the door after running away from my master, who might have paid a lot of money to get me as a slave, uh, he's going to think, Philemon, my master, just may want to kill me. Okay, He may want to kill me, or at the very least, beat me to a pulp. Uh or, or even if he doesn't do that, he's probably going to make my life much worse than it was before I ran away. I didn't like it before, but it's going to become even worse. Think about how slaves were treated in the ancient world. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Is that Christ suffered not only to pay the price for us, for our sins, but also to provide an example of how God wants us to live, to be willing to suffer as well. Now here Peter is talking about, if you suffer, if you do good and suffer for it, and get beaten for it, then this is commendable before God. Now Philemon doesn't even have a reward in heaven to look forward to. Okay? He, he's, he's, he can look forward to getting beaten for running away, for doing something he wasn't supposed to do. All right, But this is the gospel, and, and this is also the ancient world. The ancient world is that slaves got beaten. This is what they could look forward to. And, and Peter says, even if you do nothing wrong, you know, offer it up to God and, and, and uh, 
Yeah, you're following. This is commendable. Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So this is the way of Christ. This is the way of the cross. This is the Christian life according to the apostles. According to Peter and Paul, they lived it and they preached it to everybody, including to the slaves and servants. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so Anasimus is thinking, I don't want to go back there. He's thinking, this is not going to end well for me. So what's Paul thinking here? Paul, Paul now he said he talks to him about Anesimus as being his beloved son. He mm-hmm. says, you're my heart. Okay, I remember when we were in, in, in Alice, Allison, remember this in, in, in Albania? When we're talking about you really love somebody, you say, you're my heart. Okay, this is, this is uh, Zemra. This is the, the Albanian word. So this is the idea that... that that I love you so deeply, you're my very heart. And Paul uses that expression there to talk about Onesimus. So Paul really loves Onesimus. And he, he's, he's give, he says, I'm giving you my heart back. And so what would you think is Paul? I'd be thinking, well, I don't want, I don't want Onesimus to get beaten up when he goes back. I don't want him to be treated badly. And so Paul does... Uh, the kind, loving, good shepherd thing, although he's sending him back, Paul makes it almost impossible here for Philemon to be abusive to Onesimus. He, he uses every, every trick in the book. Okay, he, he really makes it almost impossible. First of all, he sends the letter not only to Philemon, but to his whole church. Okay, the, the letters goes to the whole church. So everybody who know, everybody knows the instructions that, that Paul is giving to Philemon. That's the first thing. And he starts out the letter by praising to the skies Philemon for his great love for other Christians. Okay? He's very purposeful in his letter. He says, You, I am so, it gives me so much joy, the great love that you have for all the other Christians. Okay? Then he says, I'm not going to command you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. He says, and I'm going to appeal to you on the basis that I'm an old man in chains. So talk about pouring it on here. I'm an old guy, and I'm in chains, and I'm appealing on the basis of love. So he's appealing. So imagine... Imagine you're Philemon and you want to beat, beat your slave up. And he's like, oh, no, this is not going well here. So, he, as I said, he refers to Onesimus as his spiritual son. He's my heart that he's sending back. And he also says, you know, if you're out financially, you've lost the services of this slave for some period of time. And if, if you've suffered any financial loss, Paul says, I will personally make it up to you. I'll pay the bill, whatever it is. That if you feel like you've incurred any financial loss. And he says to Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus just the way you would receive me. Okay? And then he plays what I would consider, this is the trump card right here. Okay, this is, this is, this is the one that nails it. He says, in verse 19, he says, I'm writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention... And when somebody says not to mention, what does that mean? Because they're going ahead and mentioning what they're saying they're not going to. He says, I don't even want to, not to mention the fact you owe me 
your own self besides. It's basically saying, I'm not even going to mention the fact that you owe me your life. Okay? What is Paul referring to here? I don't know, but Philemon knew what he was talking about. Okay? To say, make a statement like that, I don't know if he saved his life physically somehow, some way, or if he saved his life spiritually some way. You know, if, if he was converted through Paul's preaching in Ephesus, I don't know. But he says, you know, you know and I know, you owe me, I mean, he said, I'm not even going to mention that you owe me your life, okay? So, I mean, what are you going to do at that point in time when somebody, when somebody appeals to you on that basis? So he's, he's pulling out all the stops. And then he closes by saying, I have confidence in your obedience. I'm sure you're going to do the right thing. And then, he, and, then, and then he closes it off by saying, and please, prepare a guest room for me, because I'd like to come and visit. Why does Paul want to visit? He wants to see how his beloved son, his heart, is being treated. He wants to visit his son and see how he's doing. I mean, that's, he says, prepare a room for me. So this is, this is, Paul is like hanging over the place, saying, I'm going to show up there to see, see how everything's going. So... Um, and as I mentioned, keep in mind, this letter is being shared with the whole, the whole house church. Everybody's hearing what Paul is saying to him. So put yourself in Philemon's position. I mean, even if you were enraged at your servant, after getting a letter like this from Paul, somebody that who, who, who you owe your life to, okay, says, I want you to treat him just like you would treat me, what are you going to do? Okay, You're stuck. You don't have any choice. You're, 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 uh, this is such a masterful letter that Paul has written that he's really, uh, while, while it's, it's done on a voluntary basis, I mean, how can you say no to something like that? So uh, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a brilliant letter. So, so I think about, you know, what would, what, would, what would Onesimus do? He wouldn't want to go back. What does Paul do? He covers for him by writing an, an amazing letter and, and having him deliver it. And then, and then what is Philemon going to do? Well, he's, he, he has no choice. He's, 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 he's really, uh, you know, uh, before God, Paul has made an overwhelming case to, to be lenient. And, and Paul says, I'd like to have him back, actually. I wish he could stay with me. But 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 that's your decision. That's your call. Um, so one of the things I wonder is, well, what actually what happened to Onesimus after this? So he mentioned well, Onesimus is mentioned in Colossians and in Philemon, but there's no mention of him anywhere after that in the Bible. However, uh, Ignatius, who was bishop in Antioch and somebody who who he lived during the time of the apostles, Antioch was a great. Christian center, great center for missionary activity going out to the east. And so Ignatius lived around the year 35 to 107. He was bishop in Antioch, martyred in Rome around the year 107. And uh, he wrote about Onesimus. He mentioned Onesimus in three of his letters. And I'll quote from one of them. This is a letter to, it's called his second Epistle of Ignatius to the Ephesians. This is right into the church in Ephesus. Uh, so this is one of the earliest Christian writings that we have. 
And he says, seeing then, he's writing to the, the Christians in Ephesus, seeing then that we have become acquainted with your multitude, it's, it's perhaps he's referring to some bountiful gift that they had received, he had received from them, and the name of God, by Onesimus, who is your bishop, in love which is unutterable, whom I pray that you love in Jesus Christ our Lord, and that all of you imitate his example. For blessed is he who has given you such a bishop, even as you deserve to have. So it's a very, very, very glowing endorsement that Ignatius gave. Ignatius is, is heading to Rome to his own death and his martyrdom. And so Ignatius knew Onesimus, that Onesimus had become a bishop or overseer in the church in Ephesus. And Ignatius had tremendous respect for, Ephes- for Onesimus as a godly man whose life was worthy of imitation. Uh, and Ignatius incurred the, encouraged people in Ephesus to be grateful to God for giving them such a good shepherd in Onesimus. So, so you deserve this, but, but uh, thank God for giving you such a godly man to be a shepherd. So he was, uh, he was overseer of the church in Ephesus, which was the big city in, in, in uh, province of Asia. That's in the uh, uh, second epistle of Ignatius to the Ephesians, chapter 1, and Anacene Fathers, volume 1, page 101. Uh, tradition is handed down in the, in the, the Eastern Orthodox churches regarding Anesimus, and uh, that, uh, that this is old, old tradition is that Philemon, in fact, did release him back to Paul. He ended up being a missionary and he spread the gospel not only in Colossae but in Spain and other places. He was made a bishop in Gaza and in his, in his old age he became a bishop in Ephesus which is what what uh, Ignatius is talking about here. And then the em- and the reign of the emperor uh, uh, Trajan which would be 89 to 117 AD he was arrested, brought to trial and uh, he refused to renounce Christ and was stoned and then beheaded with a sword. And I'll give the references for that in Scripture also. So this is uh, this is st- story of, of historically what happened to Anesimus. A couple of lessons and takeaways from the story, takeaways from Philemon and Anesimus and also from Paul to think about. Uh, one is Paul didn't soft pedal the implications of accepting the gospel. He told a runaway slave, "You need to go back and turn yourself in." Even to young converts. Uh, so the idea that that following Christ is a narrow and difficult road, mm-hmm. and we're following, as Peter said, the example of Christ that Christ set for us. It's not just accepting what Christ did for us, but also following in his footsteps, following his example, and being willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Okay, that's, that's the gospel that the apostles preached, and it includes repentance from sin, and it could involve a significant cost. So when we are reaching out to people, we don't need to start. This doesn't necessarily need to be the first thing out of our mouths. But when you present the gospel, you shouldn't be hiding the implications of becoming a Christian. That means you are addressing drugs, alcohol, immorality, pornography, uh, tax avoidance, lying, cheating, greed, not taking care of, of elderly parents, or you know whatever. It's just you, you, you've got to deal with this right at the outset when you preach the gospel, and that's going to turn a lot of people away. 
but we're not preaching the gospel if we soft pedal yeah. uh, the hard things. Uh, Paul had to count the cost going from a hunter of Christians to one who, be, who was hunted. And, and Onesimus had to rise to the challenge as well, and he followed the, followed the example of Paul. Paul's preaching to him in mm-hmm. chains, yeah. setting the example himself. Uh, never resort to, to, to pitching a false gospel to tell people that this is a way to improve your life in this life. That's, that's not the case. I mean, there's certainly some people's lives will become better when they become Christians, but that's not the gospel. Okay? Um, also, th- this story of telling a slave to go back to his master is, this is, I mean, talk about something that's completely completely uh, upsetting and, and, and offensive today, okay? <coughs> the, the idea of doing this, I mean, the, uh, when, I was, when I was going, to, I went to college in Northern California, and I had, you know, I had long hair down to here, I had long hair, I was, uh, I was kind of a, I was a, a vegetarian, I was, uh, uh, you know, totally into peace, anti-war stuff, this is Vietnam War era, and uh, so I'm, I'm dating myself, uh, and, and while I wasn't a Marxist or a socialist, most of my friends were. Okay, the, the people I was, I wasn't like, I, I thought, that I, didn't, I, didn't, I never bought into that stuff. A lot of my friends were. And, and what they, the, the way that they looked at everything was, in every situation, it's like, where's Waldo? You know, you know in the book, Where's Waldo? You see, there's, a, there's a thousand different people on there, and there's Waldo somewhere on the page. Every page you turn to, where's Waldo? Well, you have to find where Waldo is. And, and so what my, my, my Marxist friends, would, their attitude was, in every situation, who's the oppressed person and who's the oppressor? That was basically, there. that's the lens that they put on to look at. It doesn't matter family, doesn't matter if it's a co- company, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever it is, is who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed class? That's the way they looked at everything. And uh, it's a rather simplistic way of looking at the world, but that's how they looked at it. And you look at this story, well, who's, if, you, if, if you look at it through that lens, well, who's the oppressor? Well, it's a slave owner. Well, who's the oppressed person? It's Onesimus. But Paul tells Onesimus, he challenges him, you need to go back, but he also challenges Philemon, you need to be merciful and let the guy go. So Paul deals with each person individually with the things that they need to deal with in their own lives. He doesn't look at it from the view of, you know, this modern view of, 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 of who's in the oppressed class. And we're all sinners. We all have to deal with stuff. And, and Paul dealt with every single one of them exactly how Christ would, would tell them to. Uh, another thing I appreciate in this story, Paul had the heart of a good shepherd. He doesn't just feed he doesn't just send him back to the lions, basically. Paul sends him with a pretty well-written letter, okay? That Paul's looking out for the young, vulnerable disciple. That he cares about, he cares about this guy, and he's taking care of him. And he did everything in his power to take care of, of Onesimus, and he exerted his influence in a good way. And I think what Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I said, wow, Paul's, Paul's a pretty crafty person in the way he handled this, this situation. It's beautiful what he did. Paul said in the beginning, he said, you know, I could have ordered you. Paul's an apostle. He says, like, and and, and, and uh, Philemon's a Christian. He said, I could have ordered you, but he didn't do that. 
that he appealed to him on the basis of love and gratitude. I thought, wow, that's a great lesson for us. Is you know, A lot of times Christians who are in leadership positions or positions of authority are very quick to order other people around. And, and Paul, who's an apostle, Jesus spoke to him personally and personally commissioned him. Paul, who is an apostle, didn't do that. He, he set that aside and he appealed on the basis of love and gratitude. And I thought, wow, what a great example that Paul is setting uh, to others. And then, and then the one last thing is you never know the impact that one life can have. So I think some, some guys are runaway slave. I mean, a lot of people you know, might not take them, take them seriously. Well, this isn't as big, as big of a deal. But from history, uh, this man had quite an impact because he, he understood the gospel. He put it into practice in his own life. And God used him to do great things. And at the, at, the, uh, uh, at the end of his life, he, according, according to history, died as a martyr. He was stoned to death and, and beheaded because he refused to deny Christ. So a wonderful lesson to us of don't overlook anybody, even somebody who you think is insignificant like a runaway slave, that every soul is important. And we need to, to treasure and respect like Paul did uh, every lost soul that's out there. Amen.